0: today I sit down with Becca Biscoff now she is a new foster to adopt mama she just this last year got her first placement and I wanted to talk to her about how she chose to become a foster parent what her process was to choose to foster to adopt and how the process was for her how she was able to say exactly what type of kids she wants and how it all went down and how a child was placed in her home, and she talks about some of the excitement of that, some of the chaos of that, some of the heartbreak of that, and then she also has some super encouraging words for anyone who is thinking of choosing to take this next step in their life, choosing to foster, choosing to adopt, and going through the state system. I think that this interview is great and warm and fuzzy, even though she does talk about some really deep pain as well. It just, it brings the whole brutal, brutal, beautiful, as Glennon Doyle says, the whole brutal experience to light. And uh, I hope you guys really enjoy this. I know I did. Hi, I'm Rebecca Britt, and this is the Stable Moments podcast, the show where we discuss all things related to the foster care system and early childhood trauma from foster parents, trauma experts, former foster kids and beyond. We'll take a deep dive into the complexities of the foster care crisis in an effort to better understand how to fix it. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, I know that this is going to be a great perspective for our listeners because you are a rather recent foster, to adopt mama. And so I wanted our listeners that are possibly considering um, fostering to kind of hear your perspective. So if you could give us a little background on who you are and how you came to the world of foster and adoption.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, My name is Becca Bischoff and I live in Louisville, Kentucky. And ever since I was a little girl, I wanted to adopt. I knew that That was just something that had really been imprinted onto my heart, and um, I was probably 11 or 12, so I was pretty young, and I went off to college and um, got a degree in elementary education and was a kindergarten teacher for a long time, just recently um, resigned from that position, Uh, just really just loved children, and I had quite a long um, infertility battle um, and was able to successfully have two children. Uh, And then I ended up having a full hysterectomy um, almost five years ago. And I really wrestled with some of those feelings um, right before I had that surgery because I thought, well, I wanted more children, but I also went back to that feeling that I had at a young age of that just truly being imprinted on my heart to look into adoption. And, um, I remember right before I was being wheeled away to the operating room, I remember thinking, this is part of my story that I'm, I'm going through Mm -hmm. this surgery because there is going to be a child or children down the road and I wouldn't have them if, I could keep having children, that this is not how, you know, God would, would write our story. Um, but to be completely honest, it took me several years before I got to that place of healing where I felt like I could take that step. And so much of it was just out of fear. There was so much fear, so much unknown. Um, and then there's also, you know, during some of those years, I didn't know that I would have, um, the support not from necessarily my family, but from outside, you know, friends. And um, it's been amazing the outpouring of support we've had, you know, here in in our recent journey. But um, yeah, so that's kind of how my story started. So at a very young age, I really wanted to eventually adopt. And then um, it just kind of happened that I didn't really have a choice that um, if I wanted more children, that was going to be my only option. So it's really neat how God just you know, wrote this story very differently than how I would have written it, but um, it's definitely been an incredible journey so far.
0: Yeah, that that is—it's incredible how often infertility plays into adoption, and I think it's good for, you know, case managers. And I know as a post-adoption case manager, when I was uh, working, it was good to remember that—to remember that you know that they may have had a different idea of what their family was going to look like had they been able to have children and to really empathize with that but it sounds like you were kind of brought back to your calling with your experience but nonetheless there's always healing that needs to take place when you know you have something happen where your your body's saying you can't make kids anymore um or you're not able to at all so so I totally get the couple of years that it took you. Now, in that time, as you were healing and kind of exploring your other options, did you explore like state adoption? Did you explore private adoption? Like how did those conversations go and what did that research look like?
1: For us, um, you know, the funny thing is it was always like my dream and my husband knew that when we got married. um, But you know, when we started talking about like the process of, Hey, let's look into it and get our information. He was very like, Oh, I'm just not sure. Let's just take it slow. And then it ended up being, which I'll get to, I'm sure in a little bit, when I tell more of our story that he was the one that was really pushing like right up until we got our first placement. So it's funny how God Mm -hmm. kind of on his heart too. Um, but I really, I knew that I did not want to do, um, a private adoption. Um, I wanted, I really felt I wanted to go, um, go through the foster care system with the state. And I wanted the children who were really going to be neglected or abandoned. I really, truly, that was just what I felt like I wanted. Not that in other agencies, it's not that way, but that's just kind of something I had in my mind is that, those were the, um, that's the route that we wanted to go. Um, and so we went through, um, it probably took us three years to be completely honest from start to like actual finish. It would have been a whole lot faster if we had done it, you know, we could have probably done it within six months, but we just kind of, just kind of drug it along and just kind of kept sweeping it under the rug. And, um, then finally was able to complete everything.
0: So, When you said it took three years, that's more because that's how long it took you guys. Yes. You didn't feel like. Yeah. So in our state, in our state, you have to attend an informational
1: meeting first. So we attended that informational meeting and it was downtown and it's just more of like, you know, kind of just an overview of the system. And then it was a year later when we started our classes. Um, And so that was just our own thing. And so. Um, we did them over the course of a couple different Saturdays and then we had to do, um, online trainings as well. And then a lot of just different paperwork and things like that. Um, but we just kind of, we, we were not in a rush to do it. We, it could have most definitely been completed a whole lot sooner, but we just, we just kind of took our time with it
0: sure okay yeah i just wanted to clarify so so people are thinking about doing it that they um understood that it wasn't necessarily a three no, process but no, it's no, also no. You know, that it can be and i tell people all the time like you can dip your toe in you can make certain standards of or particular criteria of children that you want like there's you always have a say in it because i i know a lot of people feel like once we start we can't um go back and it, and it sounds like you know, you did have time to feel it out. What were those, um, what were those classes like? Did you feel like you learned stuff? Did it, Were you surprised by anything? Like, what was the experience of going to the classes?
1: Um, the classes, in all honesty, were, were very much more geared toward older children. And we knew from the beginning that we really wanted younger children preferably a baby um and but a lot of them were geared towards um trauma sexual abuse things like that that children that come into your home may have been um may have been predisposed to so um that was a lot of that um there were some online trainings with sexual abuse it was really hard really really hard to watch um really just broke our hearts just to watch it but um, it was really just more about Uh, trauma and emotional things that we could be looking for. But there was a great deal of information of resources that are available, um, which was great. I mean, you get on an email list and people just, you just have a lot of support. So there was a lot of discussion about that as well.
0: That's great. It's so good to hear that there are resources and that you kind of tap into a network so it's interesting. You knew that you wanted a baby, and I feel like there's a lot of people I talk to that are, for whatever reason, are looking into adoption, but they want a baby. A lot of people want babies, right? That's why mm-hmm. there's so many teenagers uh, that need homes. So, uh, and then I talk to people that feel guilt about this, like, oh, I'm choosing, and I feel bad. But um, I tell them, you know, babies need homes just like teenagers need homes. So, what was it like? bring us through the process of how you tell them like this is the age range i want yeah. and,
1: so we yeah. had um we had several different interviews with our um our caseworker um, right before it goes to be sent off to the state to be um, where you become licensed where you're allowed to open up your home for foster care and so she came three different times and did a series of interviews and it was um very easy questions to answer i mean it's about your family it's just trying to get a good picture of um the kind of home you were raised in and how you're going to have children in your home and then your marriage and your other children that you may have in your home and just really kind of just was really just getting a feel for who we were um and during that was when um there was an opportunity for me to discuss that um and and i just stated that 0 to 2 was, um, that was kind of the, I think those were, I think those were the guidelines. zero to two and then two to four. And then, you know, they have other, you know, all the way up to like, you're saying teenagers. Uh, and I did tell them that I really wanted a baby, um, preferably from the hospital. Um, and that I really wanted a baby that was probably not going to go home <laughs> and that I knew that they probably couldn't give me you know, they couldn't do that. But in all honesty, that was just my heart. And I wanted to be as transparent as I wanted, as I could be with her. She also asked questions, you know, would you be okay with a child um, that was, you know, a different, a different um, ethnicity than you, you know, I mean, you can be as specific as you want. You can be Mm -hmm. gender specific, Um, Mm -hmm. very much as honestly, you can tell as much as you want or not. And like you're saying about people sometimes feel bad. I felt that as well, you know, like you watch these trainings and go to these meetings and learn about all these trauma of all these older kids and you think, oh my goodness, I want to help them all. But I also had to continue coming back to, I have two other children in my home and I've got to make sure that, you know, it's brand new for us, you know, and I wanted to make sure that, um, they were safe and that we were going through this, what was going through what was best for our family. And so I really had to just remind myself of that, that it's okay that I'm not taking a teenager. It doesn't mean I don't want to help. It's just right now, it's just not the best
0: fit for our family. Absolutely. So I, I hear from different people in different states saying, like, I've been on the waiting list forever. I want zero to two. None of them are coming up. But as a social worker, I also know that there's plenty of babies that actually, like, the mom's rights are terminated Um, or the baby's being removed at birth because the mom's other kids have been already removed and her rights have been terminated and that's you know the state's probably going to move directly towards termination of parental rights in that scenario so I know that those exist right how how long was it for you and and well I guess first Did you prepare yourself? Like, did you and your husband prepare yourself that, like, if a baby were to come in, that you may have to work with, you know, biological parents and reunification and all of that? Yeah.
1: I mean, gosh, like, you go into this knowing, like, in your mind, you go into it knowing there's a chance, like, we are, there is a chance that this child may come into our home and may not stay. But once, they come into your home, like that mentality becomes so much harder to make a reality because you just love so deeply. And I can share more in a little bit, but we actually had his, um, the baby sibling for a little while and uh, a four-year-old sibling. And, you know, like in your brain, like you can tell yourselves. Like I said, we went into this. We were very open with our two children about it. Um, and Addie and Henry are nine and seven, and we told them, you know, we don't know how long we'll have this baby. We don't know if it's a boy. We don't know if it's a girl. You know, we just tried to be um, as open as we could with them, and that there was a chance that they might go back to their mommy or daddy. That you know, their mommy and daddy might be sick and just really need to learn how to be a good mommy. And we're just going to help. Um, and you can say all those things, but I am just telling you, the second they come in your home, it's just, it's very difficult to imagine no longer having them. And we experienced that with the four-year-old sister. And it's just, I think it, you know, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, right. But, um, we did have those discussions, but that was before our hearts just completely fell in love with, With
0: an actual Yeah, well I, I get that. I think I think if people go into it to for to foster to adopt, yeah. that, that, that's where their heart is, is to adopt. And then it's really difficult. I was just talking to a friend that uh, used to be a mentor at stable moments and, and then they chose to um, adopt out of states custody, but they're in the foster to adopt portion of this and the rights have not been terminated mm-hmm. and you know the baby's a little over a year. They've had that baby since it was just a couple weeks old, and mom's in and out. Barely comes back into the state, but for, but for court, you know, appearances, and they just feel so, you know, disheartened that she's not trying right now, and that it wouldn't be best for the baby for the baby to go back. And you know the feelings are real. Right. You know the feelings are totally real, um, and you're just kind of waiting on on the edge of your seat for, for that termination to go through. So so how did the first call come through for, for you guys to get your placement and how long after you doing your classes and were waiting for a child to take to get that call? So
1: we completed our last series of tests um, like probably mid-March, end of March um, a year ago. And then it um, was sent off to the state that took a few months. And I want to say like when everything was said and done and we had our uh, license and letter from the state and all of that, it was, um, like mid August. Um, I know that there was a big backlog whenever it was submitted to the state. So that was in August Mm -hmm. and we got, we got him November 9th. However, we had received, um, he was our third call So our first, our first call um, was probably mid to late September. So it would have been about a month or so after we had officially been opened. And it was actually our um, worker who called to let us know that there were two girls who had been in a foster home and they were 18 months and nine months and they um, were ready to be adopted. And the foster mom was an elderly woman who did not want to adopt them. And so we thought, oh my goodness, this is a perfect scenario. We won't have to go through the heartache and all of that. And so we really thought about it and we called her back a couple days later and the foster mom had actually changed her mind and decided that she was going to keep these girls. So that was wonderful for, you know, for those girls to be with the person who they had been with since birth. So that was our first call. And the second call um, I got was actually the day that we got the baby as well. He, so they called me, um, I was at my mom and dad's house to pick up my dad to drive down to Nashville. My grandmother had passed away and we were going to visitation and then the next day was going to be the funeral. And I received a phone call. I was literally walking into his house, my parents' house. And, uh, it was the worker saying that there was a one-year-old, two-year-old and three-year-old <laughs> And it was an emergency removal. And because it was emergency and I was, you know, literally ready to leave town, there was nothing I could do. And she said, well, okay, let me call you back. And she called me right back. And she said, we have a baby at the hospital. (laughs) And she said, he is actually ready to go home. And he might have a four-year-old sister that could be coming into the state's care maybe next week. I don't know that for sure. Would you be, I don't want to place this baby if you're not willing to take the four-year-old because we would want them together. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, what do I say? I don't know. So I was like, okay, let me call you back. And so I call my husband, of course. And I've like got my mom and dad. I'm like, we're trying to get in the car and go, go to Nashville. And I'm like, your whole world is just like spinning upside down. Um, And my husband was like, I mean, I, 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 don't know, just say, I mean, it's probably not a good time, but I don't know. And so long story short, I call back and say, yes, we'll do it. And then it just started the series of conversations with the hospital and trying to figure out logistics of it because I was going out of town and I could have, I could get him the following day when we would be back in town. They typically like the parents to stay the night in the hospital Um, but they were so gracious and so kind and create and made an exception because I had already been a mama and I agreed that I would stay as long as I needed to the following night and watch all the videos and watch all the feedings and anything I needed, um, because we wanted this baby. And so the whole way down to Nashville, I'm hopping on calls with different workers and I'm just telling it is the wildest thing ever um, to feel it because you're like, okay, I'm getting this baby, but I don't know. Like I I really, like I was excited, but I was extremely nervous. And that night I go to the visitation and my husband was, he stayed in town and he came the next day. Um, so we wouldn't have to find somebody to keep our dogs. So he came down the next um, morning, but then, but that night uh, before he and my mom, I had called him and I said, do you think, um, that would you be okay to go to the hospital? Like I was trying to just be a little control freak. And I was like, could you just go see him? <laughs> like, I want to know what he looks like. I want I just want to see him. Like yeah. he had been there for three weeks and had nobody even in the NICU. And I was just like, oh. all of a sudden, like, I, I, I just need you to see him. And he was like, I mean, okay, I got you yeah, All right. Yeah. So him and my mom go and they're sending me pictures and, um, And are your other kids? My other kids are with me. Yeah, and 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 they knew that we might be getting a boy, but I didn't want to give too much information, right? Like until we knew for sure, like this was actually going to happen, we were going to get to pick him up. And so they're sending me pictures, and then once they leave the hospital, they were there probably three hours. And my husband calls, and I said, "Well, how was it?" And he said, "I'm so in love." (laughs) I mean, it was just like instant. And so I love that moment that they kind of got to get a little like sneak peek with him before I actually got to meet him. Um, So the next day we fly down the interstate to come back home, Um, literally met a friend who has fostered and adopted a couple of her children. She met me outside of the hospital to give me a car seat. I mean, I had nothing, literally had no baby things. She took my kids. Um, to go get ice cream because they couldn't be in the NICU and all of our family was in Nashville coming back as well from this funeral. So it was just a, it was just a little bit chaotic. And that's kind of what you hear people say. Like when you get that call, it's just, it's not going to be like, oh, you're just lounging around one day. Like it, it was like literally in the middle of chaos. Uh, Um, but I look back on it and when I walked into that hospital, I had on—I didn't have time to change—and I had on my—I had on a funeral dress, like my funeral dress. It was this black dress, and I look at this picture that my husband took, and it makes me cry to even talk about it because on such a sad day, it brought so much hope to know that I was getting mm-hmm. this new life, and he was going to get a chance at a at a different life. And so there's this picture with you know, this drab black dress and this little bitty baby and. I mean, the second I looked at him, he was, I was just completely hooked. Um, But I will say, if this would be helpful to some viewers who are listening, um, I really wrestled with afraid that I wouldn't love him the same, that I love my Mm -hmm. other two. I felt like, oh, I love children and it'll be okay, but I don't know that I will love him. And there was no question the second that I saw him that he, he was mine. He was absolutely mine.
0: Um, And our
1: story is not over. Um, The rights have not been terminated officially. The goal has been changed to adoption. But due to COVID, everything's being pushed back. And so I still live with that you know, aching feeling. Like, what if? Oh, my goodness. I can't imagine not having him um, in my life. But the call was, it was very chaotic. It was in the midst of chaos. I can look back on that and just see how, I mean, our neighbors were in our bedroom at 1130 that night, putting up a pack and play for us. That was theirs because we had nothing for him. Like <laughs> We literally had nothing, um, bringing over bags of
0: clothes. And
1: so it was just a really
0: so great that You had that support. yes, yes. holy smokes. Like, yeah, I, I, the, the chaos is crazy. Um, but I love your story of you know some light in a really kind of on a dark day. So I'm dying to know what what happened with the sister. Yeah, so we got her five days later.
1: So let me give you a little backstory. Um, the mother has this was her fourth child. She's incarcerated and um, for substance abuse, <clears throat> and her older two children. Her sister raises, has custody of. And the four year old has been with the mom, but the mom um, pretty much gave her to a friend to just take care of and basically raise off and on. And we got a call five days after we had him from our worker saying that this friend had shown up in the office, was very erratic and stating that she didn't want her, she couldn't keep her anymore, she needed her to be in daycare, she needed some support financially for that. And basically just threatening to leave her. And it was enough to cause, um, alarm for the worker. And so we, she asked us if we would still be willing to take her and we said, sure. Um, and again, I have to tell you that I had this feeling cause I was like, okay, we're five days in, like I'm in a groove now like everyone's kind of getting adjusted. Oh my goodness. Can I handle a four-year-old? Like I bet I won't, I bet Mm -hmm. I won't feel the same about her. And she walked in my house, um, holding on for dear life to the worker who brought her to us and her little pigtail braids. And I was completely hooked. It was that same feeling of, Oh my goodness, I'm so in love. She's mine. And it took a while to kind of get her to come off of that worker and to we had our christmas tree decorated and all that. So we would show her that and just, you know, little by little just tried to get her to warm up and then we just completely fell in love and um it was it was like a circus. Like <laughs> it's like the best way to describe <laughs> it because once she finally um Opened up, she's very hyper <laughs> <and> very precious, <laughs> but uh, so I have this baby, I have this four year old and then I have my other two, and I'm thinking my children just doubled within five days, you know, um really? I thought I just wanted a baby and um and then uh we've received a call, so we had her for a week, and then a week later, uh the worker called, and she said that there was already a court date set for. I guess, to discuss the emergency custody removal of that particular, um, of her being taken away from the friend. And there was a, um, a fill in judge that day who awarded her to go back with this friend, even though that was not what the attorney wanted. That was not what the state recommended. The friend was there and some other people who, um, just convinced the judge, I guess, to let her come back. And so I'm putting her to bed. I'm like, put her to bed and we're just, I'm like, get, actually getting ready to go back to work. I'd been off of work for a while and I was going to go back to work the next day and I get a, this call and she says, this is not what I wanted to happen. This is not what I thought would happen. This is not what should happen, but she is going to be going back with this friend and it was the most helpless moment of my life because there was truly nothing I could do. Um, I couldn't fight it. I, it was horrible. And um, the next, I, I just asked, like, "Can we keep her until tomorrow?" And she said, "Yeah, that's fine. I'll come back and get her anytime tomorrow that you want." And so the plan was you know, to have like a whole day of fun. And I just couldn't, I cried so much the whole day that it was about three o'clock. I was like, just come get her. Like, I can't, like, I already know what's going to happen. Let's just peel the Band-Aid off. But um, Mm. that night before my husband, who I've never seen cry, um, laid in a ball and wept. And that's when I knew like, this was, this is our calling. I truly believe that, but it is hard um, because we just love so deep. And just felt such an instant connection to her. It was like she was our missing piece. And how quickly and how abruptly she she left us was very difficult. It's very difficult to explain that to my other children, um, because you know they they don't understand all of this. Um, but the good news is that we um, do visits with her, so we still have a relationship with her, and we still get to keep. Not keep her, but we um, keep
0: in touch with her. So that, so that's interesting. Who who orchestrates that? Because you guys are, you know, just a placement in the eyes of right. So this, everyone who hears this story just continues
1: to say that this is very bizarre. Um, so they they always want the siblings to be together, but in this case, the siblings were separated. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with just the relationship that this four-year-old did have with this friend for so many years, um, and that it might've been in the best Mm -hmm. interest of her, um, since she didn't know the baby and the chances of the baby ever going back, you know, it just, I think that's probably was kind of the mindset about that. Um, but they were court ordered for the baby and her to have visits. Now, um, the worker who, Mm -hmm. um, like the initial placement worker had said that typically, um, like the social workers will be the supervisors of that, but that she was okay. As long as the friend and I could be cordial with one another, that we could just be the people who orchestrate that. Um, and so we just do that. Mm -hmm. Um, I just talk with her. We've been FaceTiming since, you know, all of COVID and everything, but, um, I mean, we've done, we went to Christmas things together. We've done the zoo together. Like we just we just kind of work it out, you know, typically once a week um, with our schedules um, where we can, you know, all see each other. So it's really nice that we have that relationship. Um, but that's not typically the case. Typically it's, you know, the super or the social worker is supervising that visit and you kind of meet at a neutral location, maybe at the office, things like that. But it's just been a little bit different for us.
0: So do you have a pretty good uh, relationship with the friend? And is that situation resolved? Like is she going for adoption or, so, or what does that look? Like? Yes, we have a good relationship.
1: However, I think she kind of keep, you know, one of the things I've learned in this is not to trust anyone is <laughs> to trust very few people and to not give a, and to not give a lot of yeah. information to people that you don't know um and so she still has some sort of tie to the family right like she wants what's best for the children but i do think that she is afraid um that we could get her back because there was a discussion about that and at the time they were waiting on the judge was waiting on what the mother's sentencing would be. And so that even though she, the judge did not agree with what the fill-in judge had done prior at that time, she just wanted to leave it. And then it just becomes, you know, we don't want to keep moving a child back and forth. Um, so I think she's ca- she's yeah. a little guarded with us. She doesn't, um, I think she kind of has that in the back of her mind that there's a chance. My understanding, although she's in the state's care, um, her she will not be adopted. She will get permanent custody of the child after six months. Um, I think, and I guess if she were going to adopt her, she would be doing that on her own accord, not like through the state. Um, so it's a little bit different and I don't exactly understand it completely. I just know that our social worker, the social worker for the for both kids has said that her situation is just different that it's more of she gets permanent custody and then essentially the mom could come back and I guess fight to get her back.
0: Yeah. So you're still waiting on mom sentencing. Do you have any idea of what that might look like? Yeah.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. So we had a court date back in January and they were waiting on the mom sentencing then before they had their next um, meeting. And so she had it. Her sentencing was in January and I went to that. Um, and okay. she was um she was sentenced to four years and she had already served almost a year and um she um is p- probably gonna get out on shop probation, I think next week, um to a rehab, oh, wow. a full-time rehab facility. Um and I don't believe that she is allowed to leave that rehab for another six or seven months. Um, as far as what happens after that I really don't know because um, they've changed the goal to adoption um, with the attorney but there's not been a pre-trial for the termination because of covid and all of that so um, I really don't know what, you know what our next steps are going to be but um, this morning I actually had a call with the foster care review board and our social worker um, it's just a a group of um, some volunteers who get information about the child, and um, I guess they send that off to the judge. And it was just a discussion about how great he was doing. And um, the social worker said that, you know, he kind of expedited the adoption change, the goal change, due to the fact this is her fourth child, and she doesn't have custody of any of them in um, her track record and history um, you know, just aren't that great. So, um, yeah, yeah so we're scheduled, yeah. we were supposed to go to court, um, the end of May for a review. Um, and that's been pushed back till the end of October. So because of COVID, so I really don't know when this pretrial will come into play. The court will just decide that with the attorney. Um, I don't know if that would be before that October date. If you know, if the, I just don't know, we're kind of like at the mercy of the court, um, how things happen, which is difficult. I'm a planner and, um, I, I want to know, and that's been really, um, humbling, I guess, in a way to see that I can't control any of this. And,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, um, as hard as it was for us to lose the little girl, um, it also was helpful in a way in some weird, horrible way to describe that, to, to get the reality of what's possible. You know, like I said at the beginning that we go Mm -hmm. into this knowing like, oh, there's a chance. But then once you see them, it's like, oh my God, oh my gosh, no. (laughs) Like you can't ever take these children from me. Um, But that's the reality of it. And I really had to, to learn that I need to be thankful for today and this moment. And I can't worry about tomorrow. It's so much easier to say that than to do it. But, um, to just really look at each child that comes into my home, um, and just love them for the, for the season that I have them. And I mean, I I was very sad. It was a very dark time to be completely honest. Um, after she left, because we just loved her, we loved her so much. Mm -hmm. Um, we still do. But I had a great support system of people who just met me down in that pit and I just cried and cried and it was very helpful to have people who had been there because friends and family mm-hmm. who don't know any different can say things that are hurtful, even though they don't mean them to be hurtful. Things like, oh, yeah. you only had her a week or. You know it's gonna be fun. You know you have this baby. Focus on your other kids. You know those aren't helpful. While those things may be true, our feelings were very real, and we accepted Mm -hmm. her and loved her as she were as she was ours. And so losing her was honestly as if someone had died. It just it broke our hearts. And so having friends to pour into us who had been there, who could say, "Hey, you know what? We lost our first placement," and but we wouldn't have this child today had that on
0: And where did you find, where did you build such a great
1: support system? We have just had several friends um, who have just done it. Um, and, and we've just kind of kept them, you know, and on, on our radar for that. Um, but there are resources through um, the state where they match you up with a mentor. Um, if you would like to have one, that is an, And for other families. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, one of my friends, I bet I talked to her four or five times a day when we were going through this and she would explain, she really explained the court system. I had never been to court before. I didn't know anything of what Mm -hmm. it was going to look like and the waiting and, you know, seeing the mom and, you know, It's, it was just a lot of different emotions and having someone who had been there before who could really validate my feelings and who could give me some encouragement, but also not give me like fake encouragement, you know, like I, I really needed to know like the truth. truth. Absolutely. So that was a huge help to,
0: to me. So if somebody was in your exact shoes thinking about starting this process, What would your, I mean, you've already given such great advice about understanding kind of the truth of the situation and the reality that you don't have any control over it and try to stay in the present moment. Is there any, you know, people that are nervous to start this process, is there any, you know, expectations you would advise them to set or any advice that you would give somebody that's kind of... um, nervous about starting this process? Oh, I would tell them
1: to just jump in and do it. It's the best thing we've ever done. Watching what it's done for our children has been really incredible. You know, our kids are nine and seven and they have no experience with the baby. They were, my daughter was, had just turned two when her brother was born. She doesn't even remember that time. And so it's been really neat to see their hearts throughout all of this um, and how it's just really just changed our whole lives because of it. Um, you know, I would say, especially if they have other children, to tell, to tell them to just be completely honest with them and upfront with them, even if they're younger. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, I told Addie and Henry, you know, there's a chance that we may not keep them and just to just try to be as transparent and open and honest um,
0: going into it I really I I really love that advice because I think a lot of people one are nervous so just jump in and and that you've had a good experience is great advice. But I think a a big reason why people are nervous are is if they have biological children and they totally feel responsibility to put them you know, first and keep them safe and to think of them and that this isn't just about them and their calling, that this is their family unit that they need to protect. So right, right. I love, you're not the first person that has said this has developed their child's sense of empathy. This has developed their child in ways that they never even thought possible and that it's been a really positive experience. So,
1: oh my goodness. Yes. You know, and it's funny because a week ago in the middle of the night, I got a phone call for an eight month old. And I missed the call, (laughs) excuse me. And when I got it, when I finally realized it, they had already found a placement. And my husband was like, all right, I mean, yeah, just say, yeah, let's, let's just do it. (laughs) And it was so (laughs) funny. The next morning I told um, my daughter and she was like, well, I wish you would have gotten her. I mean, can, can we maybe get like an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old so I can play with somebody? Like, it's just like, and at first, like when we were I guess I would also tell people who are a little nervous. My nine-year-old yeah. was very unsure. She is a lot like her mama. She wants to know what's going to happen, what it's going to look like. And when we were starting this process, she was not really excited about it. And, it was beca- and I figured it was because she just didn't know what it was going to look like. Um, and then, you know, now she's like his little mom. I mean, she follows him or she carries him around and it's really been neat to watch her mature in that and, and to just see their, the love that they both have. And it it is a choice. You know, I saw this documentary about how the endorphins or whatever they're called in your brain that are released when you have a baby, like that mama bear instinct of wanting to protect that there was this study that they were exactly the same in the biological, you know, a a mother who's given birth and one who has a child that they've adopted. And it truly Mm -hmm. is a choice. Um, And I can attest to that, you know, as I mentioned before, I was not sure that I would love him, that I could, that I I didn't know I had the capacity to love another child that I did not birth. Mm. Boy, was I so wrong because the second, I laid eyes on him, he was mine. And just the power of love and the power of choice to just say, I choose to just give you a different life. And um I know what it's like to be so afraid and to be so nervous and to worry how your kids are gonna take it and how your marriage is gonna handle it. And we just, you know, we put it off and, you know, we got ourselves healthy and we healed and did all the things that we could could control and could for sure do, um, but I would tell your your friends and your listeners to just do it because it will be the best thing. It will stretch your heart in a way you didn't even know was possible.
0: Mm, I love it. So now that you've kind of seen behind the curtain, you have allowed children into your home that were not your birth children, um, and you've seen the different dynamics of what causes kids to go into care. How do you think we can help end the foster care crisis?
1: Oh, that's a really hard question. Um, I know, especially in our state, um, the drugs and op- like opioids is so um, rampant. I guess you could say in our in our state, in our city, um, a lot of these children are coming into care for that, um, or for their parents that are incarcerated gosh, I don't know how to
0: answer that question. Like uh, what you're kind of alluding to or, or you have in this interview is the more people that feel like not so scared to enter this process and the more people that are willing to open their arms to kids that are in foster care and the more community members, even if they're not doing it, but like you said, your support system that was willing to help you and be in your house at 1130 at night and set up a right. and play and meet at the hospital with it. It's like those, you know, God willing, these kids, the kid that you have in your home now, your foster son, hopefully adoptive son soon, will grow up and not have his kids enter care. Right. right. And I think, you know, if we start at a very basic level, if each of the kids found a foster home, that could pour into them to the point where they didn't make the choices uh, to get them to a place where their kids were going into care, then we could have an impact on, because it's a cycle. If more people could could realize
1: how amazing it is and how, yes, it's hard. It is so incredibly hard, but it is so incredibly rewarding to know that you're literally changing someone's life and all you have to do is love them. That's all you have to do is to love them. Mm,
0: it's so good. Well, your, your story made me warm and fuzzy and made me feel like even though it's rough and we're dealing with some really crappy stuff and some deep, deep emotions and connections and... Feelings and dynamics that there's this like beautiful piece in it. It reminds me of the the uh, I've just read Glennon Doyle's book Untamed, and she says it's beautiful, like brutal and beautiful. And yeah, I feel like absolutely. Beautiful and
1: so oh my goodness, yes. And you know, um, it's funny because I've talked about my kids a lot, the older too. Um, when they knew I was getting on a call this morning for the foster care review board, my son Henry said do we get to still keep him? Like he just had this like moment of panic. And I said, Oh yeah, we do. And, and they, every time they say a prayer, they pray that they can keep him and the, and the little girl. And I, mm-hmm. at first I would say, I really don't think we're going to get to keep her. Like, I don't think she's going to come back. And then I thought, you know what, let's let's let them pray that if they want to pray that <laughs> that's perfectly sure. fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it's just, it's changed our lives. It's changed our family. And, um, my family, my parents, it's been amazing for them to get to experience this with us. And it's, it's just been great. So I would just encourage everybody who's listening to just do it. It, It's going to be hard, but it's going to be so worth it. And to just, if you could feel all the things that I have felt, then you'll say, Oh my goodness, why didn't I do it sooner? Because that's how I feel. Oh my goodness. Why did we not do this before now?
0: Yeah, and as, you know, each person steps out and chooses to get involved in this community, you know, they become the person in their family, like you just talked about, in their community, in their church, that's doing something that opens the pathway for other people. Yeah. And the more we can kind of build those communities and build inspiration in other people, the closer we'll get to getting all these kids home. So thank you so much. This is such a great interview. And You know, I'm praying for you and your whole family and that little girl. Thank you. Yeah, you guys are great. And uh, I have loved hearing about your story. And kiss that little nugget for me.
1: I will. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, you have a great rest of your week. Okay. Thank you so much. Yes, you have a great day. All right. You too. Bye.
0: Bye. Bye. I just loved speaking with Becca. It is so nice to hear people that are actually going through this process and that they are loving it and it's changing their lives. I know we can't all foster or adopt, but it is so nice to hear from people who are actually doing it, actually opening their homes and how it's changing their lives. And she had so many good tidbits on how to talk to your pre-existing biological kids about this process and being really open and honest with them and how it's been life-changing and a great positive experience for them. She talked about like the deep, deep pain you can have dealing with losing a child that's come into your care, even if it's for a week, how much you feel that pain and the incredible piece of wondering if you would love this child as much as your bio kids because of course we would all want to stand on the principle that we treat our adopted children exactly like our bio children that there's no difference but we do have that question of like would I love this child as much as a child that I birth and the fact that she said she did just you know breathe some life into the possibilities of being a foster parent, being an adoptive parent. And I hope that it encourages anyone on the fence to, to make, take that step or maybe share this episode with someone who has been on the fence so that they can understand her experience and in, in the process that goes into this. All right, guys, if you like this episode, please share it. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. It's always helpful. And thank you to those who already have taken the time to do so. All right, guys, I will talk to you next week. Stay safe out there.